today I want to talk to you about, um, actually I'm melding a couple of different subject matters. And one is the king's table, two or three or four. The king's table, a.k.a. the father's heart. And talk to you about his heart for prodigals. And in the process of doing this, you're going to get examples of um, relationship with God that you can take for yourself and how the Holy Spirit speak to us, speaks to us, revealing his heart for people. And um, there's a wave going on around the globe right now in regards to God and his heart for prodigals. And this church, we're going to catch that wave and hopefully ride that wave to the fruition of harvest. We're catching it right now. Diana's got stuff that's coming at her through uh, Esther's Arise. Uh, I'm not even focusing on that. I wasn't even thinking of that because God started this message actually when we started the Daniel Fest. And um, she can tell you more about that. And right now this morning, I want to talk to you about the particles and God's intended plan for harvest. And most of us are familiar with the story of the prodigal son. And we know about the father, the younger son that took his money and left, squandered it, the older son at home who still had a bad attitude. He kind of had a little bit of that prodigalness in his own heart that he hadn't set right with God. Where do you fit in with this? Who are you? Do you have the father's heart? Have you caught that? Are you familiar with being a prodigal or have prodigals in your life? Or know other people? Are you the son at home, like here at the house here, and have a bad attitude? Coming in, they're going to be coming in. We've got people that are going to be coming in. God's going to move them. He's going to move on them. He's going to move them up in the ranks because he's going to be about his business and getting work done. And it's like the, the, the person, the man who was hiring for the jobs, they got on at the beginning of the day for whatever their money is, say a penny. And at the end of the day, the ones that came on at the end of the day got the same wages as the ones that came on at first. And it's going to be that kind of a deal when this starts happening. And we need to be right with God because this is all about God and his business. Um, the Daniel Fest had started at the first of the year. We usually do the Daniel Fest. And it was Saturday evening prayer, our first one with the Daniel Fest. Quite a few of us, um, a few of us had come for prayer. And, okay, so the Daniel Fest had started. Some of us were here, and we were picking out our individual places to pray and um, capture God's, God's heart. The Christmas decorations were still up on the platform with the beautiful cross and the fabric flowing down depicting the glory of God onto the manger and the baby in the manger. And so we were quietly praying in our own individual places. And I was walking around and I was praying and the, we set the cross up the, like the Christmas scene right here with the fabric, the white fabric coming down and the manger at the bottom of it. And the white fabric represents the glory of God coming down. And I was walking down around here and I decided to go up on the platform. I felt moved to go up on the platform and start praying for the worship team. And so I got up on the platform and I started making circles around and after a couple of circles around praying for the worship team, the instrumentalists, leadership, us, 
because that's the first part of the three-part vision for this church is the worship. When I come around over here behind the cross, after a few times I noticed that my emotions took a shift and I'd walk around and, and I didn't notice it at first, but then I noticed that hey, this, has been, this change has been happening, this shift in my emotions has been happening. And so I went around again and I thought, what is that? And I thought, I'm feeling sad. Every time I would go back behind the cross and come around where the baby was, I was feeling sad. Not, not heavy, but I noticed, what is that? That's sadness. And so I've learned over the years, and I'm still learning, that when I notice that something is happening, like a shift in the room, a change in my emotions, um, noticeable changes in other types of details, and I'm learning to, that I need to get quiet with the Lord with what I'm thinking or feeling and ask him, is it me or is it you if something else is going on? And this is something that we all learn to do as Christians because this is how the Holy Spirit starts talking to us. So I leaned into that sadness. God, what's going on here? And I was thinking and praying quietly. Now I'm talking about the Holy Spirit here. This is the three part of the Godhead. And I was getting these unctions from the Holy Spirit, and I was leaning into that with the Holy Spirit. So eventually I realized that the feelings definitely were not mine, but that God was gently showing me his heart. And while sensing the sadness, the thoughts of prodigals started crossing my mind. And as I was on the backside, I started getting pictures of people who had left the Lord and the dire straits that, we, that they were in. And I realized that he was showing me his heart for prodigals. He was sad. God is sad. And it was his sadness, and I realized he was actually speaking to me through my hearts and having a literal heart-to-heart -heart conversation with me, his heart to mine. And the Bible speaks to us about God wanting to share his thoughts, his heart, and his feelings with us. And we know God is a spirit, he is spirit, but he also has a mind and a soul with feelings, which are spoken about in several scriptures. Leviticus 26.11 says, I will make my dwelling or tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. Jeremiah 32.41 says, Yea, I will rejoice over them to do them good, and I will plant them in this land assuredly with my whole heart, and with my whole soul. Now the soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions. That means God has all of those. It says he has a soul. We don't usually think about that because we're always relating to him as spirit. Where do we get our soul from? Where it says we're made in the image of God. So as I was walking and praying and feeling the sadness, God didn't stop there. My heart became heavy, and I realized I was feeling grief. He, he turned, this, turned the shift of the atmosphere just a little tighter, and I was feeling grief. Now, we can read in different portions of Scripture about God becoming grieved and that we are warned not to grieve him, but the grief I was sensing was not a warning. It was a burden he's carrying for prodigals. So then there was another slight shift. I sensed a subtle distress. We don't usually think about God being in distress because he knows everything. 
And I was thinking in my mind to God, and I was questioning him, what he was speaking to me about, because this was so different. Thoughts, thought, and the thoughts of, of different people crossing my mind, like a man living homeless on the streets, a woman suffering, living in an abusive relationship. She can't get out of that. She has no way out. She feels like she has no way out, trapped. Another person living a life chained by drugs and alcohol with no hope of freedom. Someone stealing to meet needs, even if it's the need of safety in a gang. You know, different things like that. Even, you know, there's business people that they look so successful, but we know that they're in dire straits. He was grieving over prodigals. These are people who have known and tasted of him and walked away. He was grieving over the prodigals and their circumstances. I could feel a, that gentle distress and its angst. That's an old term, but it's angst, a grief deep in the soul. And those, who have a, us, those of us who have a relationship with God and experience him helping us in our daily lives, we have a family member or family members, friends who have turned from God and choosing to live the way of the world. Could have even been us. Some of us in here are prodigals who have come back. Um... Some of us in here are struggling to be back. So how many of us have prodigals? Or we know someone who is grieving over their own prodigal. I have several. Those of us who have a relationship with God and experiencing helping us in our daily lives, we struggle with what we watch them do. How many of us have grieved over the decisions our prodigals are making, living in dire straits, having their lives destroyed, or living in such a way we know they will eventually crash and possibly burn in hell if they don't make a U-turn back to him. That's a heavy burden for us. It's a burden to God. And he's after them. We know people who are close enough to see in our own lives how we believe, how we walk with God and the blessings happen, but they never come around to accepting the same gift to them that God is offering them, that He's that we've accepted from him. They may even say they'll think about it, but never get to the point of making a decision to accept God's loving care for them. Over some of those people, we experience disappointment, sadness, and even grief and distress because we keep seeing over and over again how they are never rising above the damage life dumps on them. So I kept praying, feeling God's distress and wondering about the baby in the manger, God's invitation to all of mankind for salvation and the entrance into the kingdom of God to save us from our sin, to redeem us from our transgressions and heal us from all our diseases. And God was speaking to me, the Holy Spirit was speaking to me in my heart about how he offers so many solutions through an invitation to his table the king's table, so to speak. Yet people who have, have had a taste of his goodness, they turn away from the table. They refuse his goodness offered to them and choose or decide to deal with life in their own way. They continue making ineffective decisions to survive, live damaged lives instead of receiving his help that would raise them into better circumstances. So what is the king's table? What is it that they're refusing? What is he offering? 
that we take, and they're not. We can read in scripture and other historical events. And I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to Second Samuel, chapter nine is where I'm going to land. We all know the story of the prodigal, but I'm going to, I'm shedding light in a different way on this because there's now a global movement. We hear the prophets around the globe that are speaking about God going after the prodigals. And like I mentioned earlier, Diana has gotten information on Esther's rise. I was not thinking of that when this started. This is God's heart. And he wants to use us to help in this situation. So thinking of the king's table and the historical events and actualities of king's tables in other countries, good kings, bad kings, it's meaning an elaborate celebration with a meal, a menu of elaborate gourmet foods, tastefully delicious delicacies fit for a king. Even today in other countries there are still kings, and on special occasions, by special invitation only, people are invited to attend and have a meal with a king. There are royal protocols strictly adhered to, and if you didn't get an invitation, then you are not allowed to have a seat at the table or even set foot in the building, castle, or mansion if you break protocol, it could mean a devastating ban or even a, even cost you your life. We're so far removed from that. We're so far removed from that. The closest that we have in that situation is what happened the January 6th. It's all blown out of proportion. Is what could happen if it's deemed that you've broken protocol. And people are suffering because of that. That's what happens in other countries. People lose their lives for real if you break protocol. There are Old Testament scriptures speaking of the king's table as historical events that really happened, and the fate of nations sometimes hung in the balances at king's tables. David speaks about God's table in Psalm 23. We sang that song today, and Diana didn't know I was talking about this. Expressing, David is expressing his understanding of God's blessings received, lavished on him as if he was sitting at God's banquety table, and Psalm 23, 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. This speaks to God preparing for our needs in very dark times. We have an invitation from our Father to sit at his table, and we practice that. We practice that when we come into his presence. And as we're being cared for in whatever we need, all the while our enemies are nearby watching God provide for us. Now, do you see what happens when you walk away from the table? Those enemies are nearby, ready to devour. We, we see them walk away, and we watch as they get destroyed by the works of the enemy. Or they're, ha they're whooping it up and having fun, but we know that they're planting seed, that they're going to reap a terrible harvest. Luke 14, Jesus is speaking about, he's speaking of actually a parable about the king's table. His parables are known as teaching moments in reference to the kingdom of God. And he's talking about the king's table. And what happens when people refuse to come to the king's table? And as we read the Bible today, we know that the subject of us being seated at the king's table is actually a metaphor of God's heart and actions towards his people. And on this earth, eating at the king's table speaks of tremendous 
spiritual provision and blessings, protection, and the list goes on and on. Online on, at Bible Hub, it says, um, at the king's table is the best society. At the table of the divine king, we associate the, with the father and the son by the spirit, and by him also with saints and angels, the excellent of the earth and the excellent of heaven. And the Lord fulfills his promise, I will sup with him and he with me, in Revelation 3.20. This is an actuality that we are going to experience. We will have a meal with the king. And we'll probably have many, because it'll be celebration in honor of the king. So let's look at a couple other portions of scriptures about the king's table. In 2 Samuel 9, 1 through 13, David had just come from some battles and then he's making decisions that kings don't usually make, <clears throat> but he has the right to. And it's, it's talking about David's righteous rule over Mephibosheth. I'm going to give you some background here. Now, Mephibosheth is not a prodigal, but the family line is. Saul was King Saul. David served under King Saul. And, and Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. And um, he, became, he became a huge prodigal. And he tried killing David. But the scripture says here, now David, now David said, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, Jonathan was King Saul's son. David and Jonathan became best friends. And because of Saul becoming influenced and bound, becoming demonized and attempted several times to kill David, they were separated. Jonathan and David were separated because of Saul's demonic jealousy and anger. David didn't forget that. And I'll explain what should happen, but didn't. So as David is crying out, it's been on his heart he wants to go after Saul's family line. And he said, and there was a servant that rose up. So he's crying out, is there anyone left of the house of Saul? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, at your service. Then the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. Tuck that on the table in your mind. He's lame in his feet. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is in the house. I'm going to slaughter this. <laughs> in the house of Makur, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Makur, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth? And he said, here is your servant. So David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, 
and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon me such a dead dog as I? And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and he said to him, I have given to <laughs> He turned around. He didn't even answer that question. He turned around to the servant and he said, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba, that's, that's a rich servant. Now then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. How many times did he just say that? He just said that, what is that, two, three times? That means it's really important. If something's repeated more than once, second time you listen up, third time you better be really listening. Jesus held the same principle. <clears throat> That's the heart of God. Eating at his table is so important to God, the Father's heart. The things that he has in store for us, coming in and resting in his presence, finding protection, finding safety, finding instruction, finding this, finding that, it's all at the table. Now Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both feet. Now some back history of Mephibosheth. Um, when he was five years old, the news came that Jonathan and his father Jonathan and his grandfather were killed during the battle of the Philistines against Israel. And the nurse, who was in a panic while she was holding Mephibosheth, she dropped him and injured his feet. And he was disabled, which was a condition of shame for the rest of his life. His feet were injured. This section of scripture is a beautiful story of King David years later pursuing the family line of Saul finding Mephibosheth and restoring him back into the family inheritance. He went after that family line. Scripture says that David sent for Mephibosheth and restored him to being a constant guest at the king's table as one of the king's sons. This speaks of great honor and continual provision to enjoy for the rest of his life. Are you taking that for yourself? You have this honor. You have the giftings that are coming at the king's table to you. Are you feasting on this? We're in here. We've got a table before us. So, this is an example to us of how God desires to restore and care for everyone. Us and the prodigals. The atmosphere is of this moment is one of gifts. The king's continual care and bounty. And it fosters an atmosphere of love, honor, and thanksgiving. Do you realize God prepared that table? He's giving us the love. He's giving us honor. 
he's giving us, he's thankful that we're at his table. Do you realize that? We're all about, we need to give God honor. We give God glory. We give him the love. But he's serving us. In 2 Samuel 9.13, and remember it says, So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. And he was lame in both feet. Now, <clears throat> Mephibosheth was lame. He was damaged, physically deformed, and handicapped. He felt he was unacceptable, and he called himself a dead dog. In many cultures, disfigured animals and people, they're killed. King David restored him, unconditionally accepting him in his circumstances of disfigurement. Not normal protocol for a king, but he had the right to do that. Metaphorically speaking, this is symbolic of us being damaged, disfigured by sin, and the, and the king's or our father's acceptance of us. Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want to be treated the way Mephibosheth was treated by King David? Who wouldn't want the master of the universe taking care of them? Mephibosheth couldn't fathom being treated kindly by David. Saul continuously tried to kill David. And so... Mephibosheth couldn't fathom being treated kindly by David. Saul continuously tried to kill David. So Mephibosheth, being of Saul's family, expected David to kill him. That was protocol. And according also to protocol, he put himself as low as he could possibly go to somehow find mercy with the king or not see what was coming. So he kept his face, his focus on the ground, thinking he was about to die. What Mephibosheth was believing was actually not the truth. The truth was that David was a man of God who knew from experience God's mercy. He knew from experience God's grace. He knew from experience God's love and was wanting to bestow those same things on Mephibosheth. David was a type of Jesus to Mephibosheth. So prodigals. Mephibosheth was not the prodigal. He was not the actual prodigal here. Saul was. But Mephibosheth knew he should be paying for the sins of his fathers. But killing Mephibosheth was not David's intention. David could not go after Saul and offer redemption. He was gone. Lord knows David tried exceptionally hard to do what was right by Saul, even though he was evil. And David clearly loved Saul's son, Jonathan, but couldn't go after him either. So he went after whoever was left to offer redemption and restoration to the family line. And that was Mephibosheth. This is similar to um, what we should be doing with prodigals. Look at them turning away. Looking, look at them in their dire straits, in the lives that's destroying them and what they believe. They can't make that turn back. They can't seem to get it together and turn around and come back to the Father and this is a huge curiosity to those of us with the Lord sometimes driving us to sadness. Think of your own burdens that you have carried because of those in your life or people that you know that are struggling so bad with the prodigal. Driving us, this will drive us to grief and sadness, distress. 
those we care about and love, they want nothing to do with God's mercy. They want nothing to do with his grace, his love. They cannot seem to find the ability to look up and away from their bondages, continuing to live in what they are focusing on, the very things that's killing them. And while some do accept being welcomed to the king's table to find a better life, others won't accept it. They flat out refuse. They prefer to find their own way, living in sin and destruction. God's heart is grieved. God's heart is grieved. As we were worshiping up there this morning, the look on the Lord's face, now it's a vision that he gives me because if we see Jesus face to face, we can't handle it right now. But what he gave me, the look that I understood, it's indescribable. He totally understands how we feel about these people who are lost in our lives. He knows the burdens that we carry. And he feels that distress along with us. And he wants us to know that he's with us. He created us. He knows our hearts and our every thought and our every emotion. God's heart is also grieved along with the grieving prodigal who feels blocked from ever turning back to a right standing with him. So he's grieving on both sides. So how does God fix this? What's his solution to the dilemma of getting the prodigals back? It's us. It's us. We're being taught that we're to be like Jesus and follow his examples going after prodigals. And he is wanting to partner with us to get these people back. Now this is only one portion of the great harvest that's coming. But he's prepping us now in this area. Jesus is our living example of God's heart. And he did what he sees the Father doing. Jesus goes after people. God went after Adam and Eve when they failed in the garden. Do you realize he's the one that gave them clothing? Do you know what he had to do to animals to clothe them? God went after them. The Old Testament is full of examples of him going after people and attempts to restore them after their decisions continuously messed up their history, diverting from God's original plans. In the New Testament, Jesus yearned for Israel just like the Father did, or still does, over and over. But Israel has continuously rejected Jesus. He is still after the nation of Israel, as they have not, as a nation, turned their focus to Jesus and the Holy Spirit yet. As a nation, individuals are coming around, but as a nation, they have not claimed that yet. They've not declared that. Jesus went after the man in the tombs, a man people gave up on as he was bound by demons. You know what? That guy was in the tombs, and nobody can, could constrain him. They put chains on him, and, and the demons gave him so much strength. He broke the chains. Um, he was not expecting his visitor that came that day. He was totally unexpected of Jesus coming after him, and Jesus set him free. Jesus went after him, set him free, and sent him back to his people with an amazing testimony. He called Judah's friend in an attempt to touch Judah's heart when Jesus was betraying him to a sentence of death. I truly believe that there was seed planted in Jesus' heart, or in Judas's heart. He wanted that camaraderie of being with a group, and he was seeing things that he liked, but his heart was twisted, and it ended up being used for an evil advantage. 
And Jesus called him friend as he was betraying him and to a sentence of death. Judas did not turn back and he was lost forever. Peter? Peter turned on Jesus. He turned on Jesus in fear for his own life and then was bound in regret and at risk of being lost. Jesus died. And then before ascending to the Father, he went after Peter. What would you feel like if a ghost was after you? <laughs> I think I'd be thinking twice about my directions as well. But he went after he went after Peter, revealing his new Jesus was revealing his new victorious self in all his kingly glory. And to Peter, he called out who Peter was to be, wooing Peter back into the fold. And Peter came back stronger than ever before. He was at risk of being lost. When we make decisions in life that go against God's ways, decisions that go against the orders of life he has established in his kingdom, we are at risk of positioning ourselves against God and become an enemy to him. Scripture says God does not take pleasure in the death of his saint, of his, of his enemies. Sorry, He does not take pleasure in the death of his enemies. He wants no one to be lost. No one to be lost in the dip in hell. And he makes great efforts to draw wayward people back to him and to right standing with him. I mentioned a wave happening that we're going to catch. We're catching it right now. Prophets around the globe are now talking about God going after prodigals. That's a wave. You'll hear messages come in waves, and God gives waves of messages. We're catching this one. We've been catching several waves lately that shows that this church is right on target with the Lord. And now we're going to catch this wave and ride it, hopefully to the fruition of the harvest that's coming. God's plan in the great harvest is in bringing back the prodigals, and he's going to use us to do it. And when they come back, they will also be bringing the unsaved around them. They're going to need our help. They're going to need our help. And we're going to have to be okay with what's coming in the door, knowing that it's off from what we're used to. These people are living lives in such wickedness that we would run from that. We need a love stronger than the wickedness that's binding them. So how we do this is we feast at the God at we feast at the king's table. We feast at God's table. We come in, we rest, we get a, a an unction from the Holy Spirit to hear what he might want to say to us for the day. What he says to Debbie will be different than what he says to Shirley. What he says to Alan will be different than what he says to my husband. You know how that goes. But he can use the same message to touch hearts in your own perspective. So this is, this is what you need to do. You need to ask God to help you receive from his table. You need to ask the Lord to help you understand what it is he wants to give you. He may have to do some shifting around, and it's not comfortable. God is mind 
soul, uh, mind, will, and emotions. He's soul. So he knows the discomfort that we get when he has to get in and start um, reconstructing, remodeling. He may have you revisit some things and say, hey, I want to deal with this. And if he does that, for your own protection, you say, Lord, I can't handle that. I know you want to fix that. I can't handle it. But prepare me. Prepare me for what you want to do. Because he will give you an inkling. Uh, I've, had, I've had several things that the Lord has had to take out of my life that were so horribly painful. And I didn't realize it was so painful because I was hanging on too hard. The last time he was taking something big from my heart, I realized, okay, I finally learned it. All right, I'll let it go. I, I give up. I surrender. I did it immediately. It didn't hurt so bad. I mean, it was gone. My pain was coming from the fact that I was so attached to those things he needed to remove. And there's, quite, there's a lot of destruction. I, could, I just could go down the list. And to you, my life would seem like a party for some of you coming in here, the things that you're dealing with. Feasting at God's table is what preps you. He gives you the nourishment for the work he needs to do. He gives you the nourishment to be able to learn to accept him as a father. There are some of us coming in here who cannot take a father image. We can't even take a mother image. Um, some of us coming in this door that have images that we've never seen before because that's their mind is on stuff. And we don't want to see those images. He wants to clean all that up. Some of us are used to living with things in our life. We're so used to it that we don't realize it's wrong. Some of us don't like it when others get lifted up. Some of us don't like it when others, we watch God using them. He wants to adjust that because he wants to use every one of us just as powerfully as the next. It, it's not some, so-and-so is better than so-and-so. He wants to clean that up. We don't have time for that. What's coming in the door, what God is getting ready to do? Don't be scared by their demons. Don't be scared by the dirt. God is not scared of our dirt. He, and he knows he wasn't scared of the demons of the man in the tomb. Jesus went after that man, set him free. Now, I'm not saying that he wants you running after people with demons. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. Get in under his wing. Come into that table. Sit in the worship. And I realized this morning it's the worship that brings in God. You know, again, he's reminding me, I know this, we know this. It's the worship that brings in his presence. And then he starts coming in and filling out the table. He brings in all those good things. So we do our worship and we rest and relax and we receive. And then he prepares us to use us. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray. There are some of... If we can't get, you know, Christy and I talk about this from time to time. There are prodigals in your own life that you are near and dear to that the Lord will use you or he'll send somebody to you. And then there are prodigals that are away from us that we have to trust that the Lord will bring somebody else to them when we can't get to them. There are friends who need our help because they have prodigals 
and they need our prayer bad. They're desperate for support because they're so ripped in their own hearts by the damage. There are friends and or acquaintances that we know that are struggling. We're working right next to them. We don't realize how devastated they are with the prodigals in their own lives. So every one of us probably knows somebody that we could represent. We're going to pray. If you have a prodigal in your life, or you know of a prodigal, please stand. And as you stand, you're acknowledging the God of glory. As you stand, you're acknowledging you're lifting that person up to the Lord. It's a representation. If you can't stand, that's fine. You don't have to. And we're going to pray, and then I'm going to dismiss, and then we can, if anybody needs private prayer, we can do that. Lift that person up to the Lord or those people. If it's a group, lift them up before the throne in your heart and receive from the Lord what he has for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I see people on the hearts of the people that are here. I see them being lifted up before you, and it's a multitude. Lord, you see these people even better than we do. We're acknowledging you as our master creator. You've created those people who are lost, who have turned from you. You've created the people who are trying to be a support to them or who are so devastated by their prodigal's decisions. Oh, Lord. I see you pouring in, Lord God Almighty. You're pouring in because we've given you permission. And you're stirring. And you're, you're releasing reinforcement and you're releasing angels. You're sending angels to help minister and to serve right now as we've acknowledged you and we've lifted these people up to you, you're sending in the forces, Lord. Your word says that you grieve and you want none lost. We agree with you in that. We agree with you in the work that you want to do in our own hearts and in our own lives. Help us not to be the older son, the elder son with a bad attitude. Because everything was available to him. Help us not to be the jealous one. Help us not to be the one who feels like we do everything and while the youngest one squanders and gets away with it. Help us not to be that way. But help us to allow you to write the things in our own lives so that we can be who you want us to be and then we can be a support to those who are in devastation as you're bringing them in. And some of us you will send to go after them. You will prepare some people to go after them. And if it can't be us, thank you for those who you are preparing right now to go after those prodigals. And on the other side, the prodigal that's in the prodigals that are in devastating circumstances, prepare their hearts to be able to see. We pray for a crack. We pray for a window open. We pray for a breath of fresh air. We pray for freedom. We pray for healing, Lord God Almighty, that you would break the chains of addiction, that you would break the chains of bondage, that you will break the chains of um, sexual devastation, that you will break the trafficking, that you will break 
Oh, dear Jesus. And when they whisper a cry out to you, when they're in the midst of their sobbing and their tears, help them to sense your presence. And those who have an open door and they don't realize it's an open door they can walk through, help them to see that open door and just turn around and walk away. Walk right through that door, right back into your sunshine, right back into your glory. Make it easy for them, Lord. Now I pray for your blessing upon everybody in this congregation. Help us to ride this wave, Lord. Help us to be corporate in unity and ride this wave with you. Help us to be corporate in unity in worship with you. Thank you for the cleansing that's going on right now, Lord, by the power of your blood that you shed on the cross for us. Thank you for the things that are being laid down, the worldly um, tools, the worldly weapons that we've used for survival. Thank you that those are surrendered to you. And we're now receiving your armor, your weapons, your strategies, your battle plans, your nourishment from your table. And we give you thanks and we give you praise and we give you glory. In Jesus' name. This was a different kind of a morning, but the world is shifting and the Lord is shifting and we're shifting with it. So blessings to you and take those and come back. Have a good day. <laughs>